Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Okay, y'all, let's have a sip of that reading wine before we do chapter 18. Mm. Oh, that is so good. You know, I buy cheap box wine and it's uh, California Malbec and it's so good. And, you know, there's got to be just like millions of liters of the stuff around the country sitting on grocery store shelves. And you've got to wonder, like, where do they get it all? For all I know, it's Malbec-flavored Kool-Aid. But I like it. Mmm. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Well. Chapter 18. Did I read my Roman numerals right? Yes, okay. Chapter 18. Dr. Seward's Diary. 30 September. I got home at 5 o'clock and found that Godalming and Morris had not only arrived, but had already studied the transcript of the various diaries and letters which Harker and his wonderful wife had made and arranged. Harker had not yet returned from his visit to the carrier's men, of whom Dr. Hennessy had written to me. Mrs. Harker gave us a cup of tea, and I can honestly say that for the first time since I have lived in it, this old house smelled like smelled good grief. This old house seemed like home. When we had finished, Dr. Mrs. Harker said, Dr. Seward, may I ask a favor? I want to see your patient, Mr. Renfield. Do let me see him. What you have said of him in your diary interests me so much. She looked so appealing and so pretty that I could not refuse her, and there was no possible reason why I should. So I could grief. Okay, I'm going to interject. This dude is the worst medical professional ever. Anyway, okay. So I took her with me. When I went into the room, I told the man that a lady would like to see him, to which he simply answered, Why? She's going through the house and wants to see everyone in it, I answered. Oh, very well, he said. Let her come in by all means, but just wait a minute while I tidy up the place. His method of tidying was peculiar. He simply he simply swallowed all the flies and spiders in the boxes before I could stop him. It was quite evident that he feared, or was jealous, of some interference. When he had got through his disgusting task, he said cheerfully, Let the lady come in, and sat down on the edge of his bed with his head down, but with his eyelids raised so that he could see her as she entered. For a moment, I thought that he might have some homicidal intent. I remembered how quiet he had been just before he attacked me in my own study, and I took care to stand where I could seize him at once if he attempted to make a spring at her. She came into the room with an easy gracefulness which would at once command the respect of any lunatic, for easiness is one of the qualities mad people most respect. She walked over to him, smiling pleasantly, and held out her hand. "'Good evening, Mr. Renfield,' said she. 
You see, I know you, for Dr. Seward has told me of you. He made no immediate reply, but eyed her all over, intently with a set frown on his face. This look gave way to one of wonder, which merged in doubt. Then, to my intense astonishment, he said, You're not the girl the doctor wanted to marry, are you? You can't be, you know, for she's dead. Mrs. Harker smiled sweetly as she replied, Oh no, I have a husband of my own to whom I was married before I ever saw Dr. Seward, or he me. I'm Mrs. Harker. Then what are you doing here? My husband and I are staying on a visit with Dr. Seward. Then don't stay. But why not? I thought that this style of conversation might not be pleasant to Mrs. Harker, any more than it was to me, so I joined in. How did you know I wanted to marry anyone? His reply was simply contemptuous, given in a pause in which he turned his eyes from Mrs. Harker to me, instantly turning them back again. What an asinine question. I don't see that at all, Mr. Renfield, said Mrs. Harker, at once championing me. He replied to her with as much courtesy and respect as he had shown contempt to me. You will, of course, understand, Mrs. Harker, that when a man is so loved and honored as our host is, everything regarding him is of interest in our little community. Dr. Seward is loved not only by his household and his friends, but even by his patients, who, being some of them hardly in mental equilibrium, are apt to distort causes and effects. Since I myself have been an inmate of a lunatic asylum, I cannot but notice that the sophistic tendencies of some of its inmates lean towards the errors of non-causa and ignoratio elenchi. I positively opened my eyes at this new development. Here was my own pet lunatic, the most pronounced of his type that I had ever met with, talking elemental philosophy, and with the manner of a polished gentleman. I wonder if it was Mrs. Harker's presence which had touched some chord in his memory. If this new phase was spontaneous or in any way due to her unconscious influence, she must have some rare gift or power. We continued to talk for some time, and seeing that he was seemingly quite reasonable, she ventured, looking at me questioningly as she began, to lead him to his favorite topic. I was again astonished, for he addressed himself to the question with the impartiality of the completest sanity. He even took himself as an example when he mentioned certain things. Why, I myself am an instance of a man who had a strange belief. Indeed, it was no wonder that my friends were alarmed and insisted on my being put under control. I used to fancy that life was a positive and perpetual entity, and that by consuming a multitude of live things, no matter how low in the scale of creation, one might indefinitely prolong life. At times I held the belief so strongly that I actually tried to take human life. The doctor here were both... Were, will bear me out that on one occasion I tried to kill him for the purpose of strengthening my vital powers by the assimilation with my own body of his life through the medium of his blood, relying, of course, upon the scriptural phrase, for the blood is the life. Though indeed the vendor of a certain nostrum has vulgarized the truism to the very point of contempt. Isn't that true, doctor? I nodded assent, for I was so amazed that I hardly knew what to think, what to either think or say. It was hard to imagine that I had seen him eat up his spiders and flies not five minutes before. Looking at my watch, I saw that I should go to the station to meet Van Helsing, so I told Mrs. Harker that it was time to leave. She came at once after saying pleasantly to Mr. Renfield, Goodbye, and I hope I may see you often under auspices pleasanter to yourself. To which, to my astonishment, he replied, Goodbye, my dear. I pray God I may never see your sweet face again. May he bless and keep you. 
When I went to the station to meet Van Helsing, I left the boys behind me. Poor Art seemed more cheerful than he has been since Lucy first took ill, and Quincy is more like his own bright self than he has been for many a long day. Van Helsing stepped with the car- from the carriage with the eager nimbleness of a boy. He saw me at once and rushed up to me, saying, Ah, friend John, how goes all? Well, so, I have been busy, for I come here to stay, if need be. All affairs are settled with me, and I have much to tell. Madame Mina is with you, yes, and her so fine husband, and Arthur and my friend Quincy, they are with you too, good. As I drove to the house, I told him of what had passed, and of how my own diary had come to be of some use, through Mrs. Harker's suggestion, at which the professor interrupted me. Ah, that wonderful Madame Mina. Madame Mina. Wow, I am slurring like crazy tonight. Ah, that wonderful Madame Mina. She has man's brain, a brain that a man would should have were he much gifted, and a woman's heart. The good God fashioned her for a purpose, believe me, when he made that so good combination. Friend John, up to now fortune has made that woman of help to us. After tonight, she must not have to do with this so terrible affair. It is not good that she run a risk so great. We men are determined, nay, are we not pledged, to destroy this monster. But it is no part for a woman. Even if she be not harmed, her heart may fail her in so much and so many horrors, and hereafter she may suffer, both in waking from her nerves and in sleep from her dreams. And besides, she is a young woman and not so long married. There may be other things to think of some time, if not now. You tell me she has wrote all, then she must consult with us. But tomorrow she say good-bye to this work, and we go alone. I agreed heartily with him, and then I told him what, he had, what we had found in his absence that the house which Dracula had brought had bought. Good grief. I also need to get new glasses. This is kind of embarrassing. Anyway, it's a pandemic. It's kind of difficult to convince myself to go sit with an optometrist, you know, three feet from my face, not even three feet, three inches from my face and breathing all over me. Anyway, let me up the font size. Okay. <clears throat> Let me find my place again. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I don't edit, so you get to hear it all. Welcome to the experience of being at a reading at a con. <clears throat> I agreed heartily with him, and when I told him what we had found in his absence, that the house which Dracula had bought was the very next one to my own, he was amazed, and a great concern seemed to come on him. Oh, that we had known it before, he said, for then we might have reached him in time to save poor Lucy. However, the milk that is spilt cries not out afterwards, as you say. We shall not think of that, but go on our way to the end. Then he fell into a silence that lasted till we entered my own gateway. Before we went to prepare for dinner, he said to Mrs. Harker, I am told, Madame Mina, by my friend John, that you and your husband have put up in exact order all things that have been up to this moment. Not up to this moment, Professor, she said impulsively, but up to this morning. <laughs> Love, Mina. But why not up to now? We have seen hitherto how good light all the thing. We have seen hitherto how good light all the little things have made. We've told our secrets, and yet no one who has told is the worse for it. Mrs. Harker began to blush, and taking a paper from her pockets, she said, Dr. Van Helsing, will you read this and tell me if it must go in? It is my record of today. I, too, have seen the need of putting down at present everything, however trivial. But there is little in this except what is personal. Must it go in? The professor read it over gravely and handed it back, saying, 
It need not go in if you do not wish it, but I pray that it may. It can but make your husband love you the more, and all us, your friends, more honor you, as well as more esteem and love. She took it back with another blush and a bright smile. And so now, up to this very hour, all the records we have are complete and in order. The professor took away one copy to study after dinner, and before our meeting, which is fixed for nine o'clock. The rest of us have already read everything, so when we meet in the study we shall all be informed as to facts and can arrange our plan of battle with this terrible and mysterious enemy. I'll stop there because there's a pretty long chunk next. So again, oh, more with the unnecessary gender roles. I'm really glad that the highest compliment that could be paid, he said sarcastically, to Mina is that she has a man's brain. Oh my God. Um, however, I work in the IT industry and uh, it is a real sausage fest. And it is like painful to see how readily present, just off the cuff sexism and misogyny are in environments where there isn't an effort to create some sort of balance and diversity. I, it is, as somebody, I don't know, like obviously a man, I've benefited a lot from the patriarchy in ways that I do not realize and in ways that I do realize and feel bad about. And I do what I can to try to dismantle it where I can. You know, it's, uh, there's no such thing as too small an effort as long as somebody is putting forth all the efforts that they can so I'm not going to sit around and beat myself up for not having completely dismantled the patriarchy personally, because that sort of I've got to be the hero thing is very much part of toxic masculinity. But at the same time, like I'm aware that, you know, like there probably are things I could have done and have not done. And just it hasn't occurred to me or I wasn't brave enough in the moment or whatever the situation is. But when I run into that, just like really stark patriarchal stuff in one of my favorite texts. It's a little like running smack into the racism in Lovecraft. You know, it's, uh, it, it's like, Oh, but I love this. Oh, but there are things about it that are awful. And this is something my husband and I've talked about a lot about like artists that are very popular in the queer communities, but who have had really questionable practices and the ways that we should examine those and not be, like dishonest with ourselves so that we can show favor to somebody that we think has been nice to us in turn. And, uh, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this other than say that, like, I think it's really important when we encounter this stuff, um, that we talk about it. You know, I was reading Lair of the white worm for the Patreon version of social distancing radio and had to quit that because the racism and sexism got so heavy that I could no longer, like not exactly overlook it, but I could no longer just like engage with it as I encountered it and move on. And it was no longer enough to point at it and say, Oh, and this is racist. Uh, it, it became a thing where like, there's a difference between pointing at a text that is of its time and saying, we don't think like that anymore. And those people were wrong. And, uh, there's a point beyond that where engaging with it at all, sort of feels like rewarding it for existing and that in itself per continues to like perpetrate its crimes i don't know this isn't as heavy-handed and bad as layer the white worm was but when i run into this stuff i've got to point it out because i feel like that's the only 
decent human thing to do. I don't know. Anyway, I do love this book and I love the character of Mina and all this bullshit about how she can't engage with this because she's a lady does go away. Uh, and she is really important part of making it go away. I think that's important. Anyway, talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org. <laughs>